recorder. There are people who... The thing that actuated us, uh, there's there no answer for it, but for it to come to an end by slaying. That's what the cross is for. And we made the observation that for you and me, death has lost its sting. Why? Because we go into it voluntarily. He convicts us of the inappropriateness of our life continuing anymore. And he leads us into death with our agreement. We say, yes, Lord. And we go into death in faith. And death for us has lost its sting. We, going into death, are not condemned. Because Jesus has conquered death, we are not condemned. But he raises us up free now. Liberated from the indomitable Adamic spirit. I will not have this God. I will not have this God to tell me what to do. I'm in charge. The whole Luciferian thing we, we see described in Isaiah 14. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> and so the, the whole mechanism for that to come to us, the whole means by which we enter into this new life without the Adamic nature driving us, binding us, dictating to us anymore, the mechanism for that change is those things. The operation of God, the anointing, the baptism of the Spirit, being born from above, having a new start, a new kind of life coming into us. All these things. The circumcision of the heart. How and the, so the, the mechanism is God doing something for us that we can't do. Guys, Christianity is about God working in souls, in spirits, today. It's not just about Jesus dying on the cross 2,000 years ago so that I can be forgiven. Hello, there was a lot of forgiveness around before Jesus died. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So don't, don't construe Christianity as a way of getting off my just desserts. Isn't that it? For generations, mankind has been getting off his just desserts. By right, after the fall, after Adam and Eve took the apple in outright rebellion, he should have finished men, men and women then. In a sense, we've all been forgiven for generations. Uh, it's, we are forgiven unto receiving a new life. This spiritual cataclysm. So, I wanted to emphasize the importance of this concept, the promise of the Father, lest we languish in an idea of Christianity that has to do with... Um, how we worship, whether we do it quietly or noisily, and our outward behaviours, whether we conform or don't conform, and this, that, and it. Christianity is more than that. It's a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. New creature, a new creation. Old things, the whole history of what we've been, we, mankind, have been, have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's where we kind of got to. And in another digression, if you'll forgive me now, if you don't like these digressions, it's alright. 
you can ask me to stop, but it'll be too late. Um, <laughs> but another digression. Um, well, I mean, it'll be alright for next time. Um, is this? Well, ah, I missed out a part. Now, this bloke, Simon. Now, Simon was a sorcerer. He was a charlatan. He had them in grip. The whole region thought, he's the bee's knees. They said, he is the great power of God. He thought, they thought he was some kind of mediator of God's power. Alright? Simon. He had huge influence in that Samaritan town. We read this in Acts, um, in chapter 8. And when he, when he saw the miracles that, the, that uh, were done by Philip, he said, his attention was gained, he said, yes, I want to, it seems like he wanted to have some of this, he wanted to have access to some of these abilities that were way beyond any of his power. Is that alright? I'm not reading too much into it, so we better read it quickly. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 8. There was a certain man called Simon, before her, uh, which before time in the same city used sorcery and astonished the nation, the, the nation of Samaria, giving out, he, here's where he heals his life, that he himself was some great one. Please, if you come across somebody like that, who's saying that they are a great one spiritually, run for the hills, alright? It ain't it. That's not our message. The message is what we've been singing about. That Jesus is the great one. And the Father says, my name is Jehovah. My glory will I not give to another. Guys, we're all flesh and blood. Let's get over that. And let's get thinking about the eternal Father who has spoken unto us in these last days in his Son. That seems like a logical and a fair thing to say, doesn't it? So... So, but this guy, he had them all astonished. They, they, they were all on the end of a string, and to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest. They must have been tiptoeing around him, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because out of a long time he had astonished them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus the King, Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now remember, the history between the Samaritans and the, and the Jerusalem Jews was not good. They were apostate. They were, in the background, Jews, but they had apostatized. They had mixed with the local people, and they had set up a competing system of worship. Now you know that the theocracy, what God had said, was centered in Jerusalem. In that name I'll put my place. You're not going to have any more temples. There was only going to be one tabernacle. When there was a temple, there was only going to be one temple. It was there, Jerusalem. That's where God placed his name. And so that was the orthodox thing that God was doing. They had set out a competing one and said, no, no, it's all right to worship in this mountain. Um, and they had their whole thing going. So there was an issue. They were despised by the Jews. They were apostate. They were, apostate. They, they were corrupt. They were putting out that they could worship God on their own terms. We don't have to do what he says and um, worry about Jerusalem. We'll do our own thing. So when they received the word, apparently they didn't receive the spirit. Philip was just a, 
a loose, not a loose cannon, he was a free, freelance evangelist. He wasn't one of the apostles sent there. He kind of arrived there, um, full of the Holy Ghost. He arrived there because of the persecutions. He preached the word and they were baptized. But you may remember that Jesus said to Peter, unto you I'm going to give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And it was Peter that spoke of the day of Pentecost. And to the Jews, the kingdom of heaven was unleashed. It, was, it invaded them. And 3,000 were baptized on that day. Um, later, and, and here we have then uh, Peter and John sent from Jerusalem. And when they got there, these people had been baptized. They believed in Jesus. They'd received the word. But... They hadn't yet received the promise. And that's where we had that excursion. What is the importance of this promise? Isn't it just what you think and what you say you believe? No, 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 it's not. What? That's not what's important. Just what you say and what you think you believe. No. It's what your, what, what your faith has actually led you to receive from the Father. Have you received the promise? Not do you believe there is a promise. Have you received the promise? And these guys hadn't. And I think you can see the, a bit of a picture here. So that when um, Peter and John came down from the apostles in Jerusalem and they laid their hands on them, and they prayed for them, and they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. You remember this much, yes? And the other thing, two times ago, I was at pains to stress, was that the laying on of hands is not a mechanism for the impartation of the promise of God. And, I want, and, and so, I read something by a man that is a good friend of mine, in the sense that I normally love what he says. And I became really disappointed. Because uh, he was just churning out the old line, talking about, I'm a bishop and I do this, and confirmation. And I thought, I wanted to address that and say, well, is there any evidence in the scripture for laying on of hands by an apostle or a bishop being necessary for men and women to receive the Spirit? What's the evidence? And having dismissed that as foundless, to say, what is our part? What is the part of the apostles in the receiving of the Holy Ghost of men and women? So here's the argument. One, it's important. Two, uh, we've got all these different ways of referring to the promise of the Father. Two, it's a work of God. Three, in what way do we contribute to our brother and sister's salvation, to their help? What's our role? Is that fair? And I'm going to suggest to you it's not the imposition of hands. Okay, confirmation stuff. Apparently, some people think when you're a little baby, and you're baptized, um, that's when you're regenerated. If I'm upsetting your theology, sorry, it's all right. Um, uh, and, but but there's, there's a lot of people, um, a lot of established churches, the Episcopalians, Roman Catholics, they believe this, that the baptism in water of the baby is when they are regenerated. And when they are confirmed, and the bishop lays their hands on them, they receive the promise of the Father, they receive the Holy Ghost. And they separate the two concepts. And I think you notice, I've just said to you this morning, that um, I beg you to agree with me, that actually, the baptism of the Spirit, and being born again, 
and the circumcision of the heart and receiving the anointing and the operation of God and receiving water of life from Jesus actually chaps it's all the same thing it's just different metaphors for the promise of the father that's the summary now look that's really unpopular if you've got a Pentecostal background you'll be wanting to throw things at me now um, but um, uh, we can discuss it um, otherwise you've got these six different experiences or seven eight because they're all talked about uh, sorry, I ducked. No, it's all right. Otherwise, you could. Well, I can remember the time I was born again. I can remember the time I, my heart was circumcised. I can remember the time that the operation of God was done on me. I can remember the time that I drank from the water of life that Jesus gives. I can remember the time that I'm running out of the. You understand that I received the baptism of the Spirit. But all these different experiences. Are you serious? It's the promise of the Father, guys, um, expressed in different ways. <clears throat> Why are we saying this? It was very... It... Ah. Okay, so... Oh yeah, the ha- laying on of hands thing. So, I, hope, I beg, with your permission, I'd just like to discuss, to think about a few scriptures to dismiss this notion um, so you can be free and your understanding can be clear. Um, remember, there's nothing in Jesus, what he, nothing in the words of Jesus that leads us to believe that he came to establish a system of a priesthood where the people who were in had to do everything for and explain everything to the people who weren't yet in, who weren't in the priesthood. Mm, that's right. you know, they shall each know me from the least to the greatest. That's the new covenant. That's the thing that he's doing. That's the purpose, the promise of God. Um, all right. So let's, let's just think. Ah, yes. The, the, the apostles were sent. And I think you can see with the history of apostasy in Samaria, it wasn't enough, perhaps, that a freelance evangelist, Philip, should tell them truth. Perhaps they needed to hear from those who were authorized by Jesus, Peter, under you, I'm going to give the keys of the kingdom of God, uh, authorized by Jesus, perhaps it was necessary for them to hear from them that they were accepted, that their apostasy was in the path, it had been forgiven, they, they would come, they could be a proper part of the new Israel of God. Fair enough? Um, <clears throat> so, when Simon saw this, laying it on of hand stuff, he put two and two together and got twelve. Um, very poor mathematics. So he said, see, uh, when Simon saw that, this is what Simon saw. It doesn't mean to say it's true, it's what he saw. His, his corruption caused him to think this. And incidentally, we see things according to our moral condition. We hear things according to our moral condition. We see things according to our moral condition. And here's as much as Simon could see. That by the laying on of hands, the Holy Ghost was imparted. Here's what it says. We're in verse 18. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered the money, saying, give me this power Give me also this authority that on whomsoever I lay my hands. 
he may receive the Holy Ghost. He'd never come across sorcery like this. He was going to be the greatest wizard in the country. Um, but just because he thought it, doesn't mean to say that's how it works. And I want to demonstrate to you that this is terribly, terribly important. Um, because there are modern organizations that want to set themselves up and say, well, actually, I'm in charge. I know God, and I know what he's saying, and I'll, I'm going to tell you what you've got to do, and because I'm in charge of you. Um, and the blessing of God will come to, come to you through me. Mate, uh, run. Okay? It's not true. Uh, there is no mediator except the Lord Jesus. Um, so let's just, let's just briefly look at this. Uh, the, so that the laying on of hands was a token of fellowship and solidarity. It wasn't the means of imparting the spirit. Why so? Um, Is there anywhere in the New Testament that we are instructed that in order for a man or a woman to receive the promise of the Father, there must be an apostle to lay their hands on him? Did Jesus say that? No. On the day of Pentecost, I'll just be very brief here, on the day of Pentecost, was there anyone laying their hands on the apostles when they received the Holy Ghost? And he descended in uh, uh, divided flames, cloven flames, and rested upon their heads. Is anyone laying their hands on them? No. Okay, so the case is weakening, isn't it? I just wanted you to be clear. Just because the, 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 um, the phrase appears in Scripture doesn't mean that you're to understand that is the truth in that way. It's just what Simon thought. Bloke was deluded. Okay. But let's just go a couple of steps further. Um, here we are, talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And are you up for this? We'll just do a little survey. Just so you don't have to, we might be able to save ourselves from stumbling in unhelpful thoughts. 2 Corinthians 1, 21. All things, verse 18, verse 20. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you through us, we pray you in Christ's stead. I got, look, that's chapter 5. Let me turn fewer pages. I asked for chapter 1. Should we try that? All the promises of God are yea and, and amen. Verse 21. Now, he which establishes us, us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit, the down payment, the beginning. So listen, this promise of the Father is just the beginning. It's just the down payment of the way in which we will be united with him in the world to come. It, right? He, he, is, he who has done all this and given us the earnest of our heart in our heart. Hang on. Is there any mention there? of the laying on of hands of an apostle in doing that. No, it's all attributed to the activity of God. Fair? Okay. 1 Corinthians 12. Um, 
Here's some gifts. Gifts of the Spirit. Distributions for the benefit of the church. Now, there are diversities. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries. Same Lord. There are diversities of operations. But it's the same God, which worketh all in all. For the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For the one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another a word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Is there any mention there as somebody being imparted with a gift of laying on of hands, or the authority to lay hands on to impart the spirit? Is there any mention there? I couldn't read it. I couldn't find one. Here's an argument. 1 Corinthians 1. Paul is saying, don't get into schisms. I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. I am of Apollos. I am of Christ. He said, don't get into it. Is Christ divided? Verse 13, chapter 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 14, I thank God. But, sorry, we'll do 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you. But Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my name. And I baptized the household of Stephanus. Um, that whole argument would fall flat if they had come into the promise of God by Paul laying his hands on him. That would rather reinforce it, wouldn't it? Ah, well, Paul laid his hands on me and... Peter laid his hands on me, and Apollos laid his hands on me so that I could receive the Holy Ghost. You understand, it, the whole argument would fall flat if the Holy Ghost required the, was, in, was imparted by the laying on of hands. And what we discover is that there is one imparter of God, and that's God. Jesus, God the Son. It's his work to baptise in the Holy Ghost. So I'm going to leave that there. I, I just wanted to uh, uh, reiterate that. You may like to think also of um, Caesarea Cornelius. I know we mentioned it before. Uh, while he was yet speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on Cornelius and his household while Peter was yet speaking. No time for laying on of hands, no prayer. He just was testifying to the Lord Jesus and God worked alright divine things are divinely wrought salvation is a divine thing wrought, worked divinely hmm I'm not going to well I, I, I'm about to wonder I won't um, listen other people can't do for you what you've got to do with God. Um, these things, the real things, are about you and me 
coming before the Lord in the quiet place and dealing with him and him dealing with us. And I think I mentioned, I used the word, it's very embarrassing for religious people because uh, we can't control that. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And now here's the sound thereof, we don't know where it's come from. So is every man that's born of the Spirit. And in our age, we like things we can control and become instant. Let me give you a, a sad fact. Perhaps it's not a fact. Uh, uh, a sad observation. I think that in our evangelical world these days, there's, uh, I don't think it's been there for 100 years, 50, 70 years, um, there is the notion that if you say the right things, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, um, let's go through repentance and sin prayer and you get baptized, you become a Christian. Yeah. And you've received the Holy Ghost because a Christian has the Holy Ghost. And you've done those things, so you're a Christian, so you've got the Holy Ghost. And there can be a reality gap. And we needn't be frightened of saying, well, I'm on the road. Um, we might be in a position of prevenient grace. The, the Puritans talked about prevenient grace. That is, grace that comes pre, before, venios, uh, coming, before the Holy Ghost comes. So all through, mate, it, we don't do these things for ourselves, but all through your life the Lord's been drawing you. You may have been kicking, you may have been running, you, by the Lord's grace, have turned and repented in as much as you can. And prevenient grace has been drawing you to the Son. No man comes to the Son except the Father draws him. Yes, said Jesus. Just let the Lord teach you about the workings of God. So, let's not be frightened of it. Let's be honest and say, well, I know I'm not what I should be yet, but I want the Lord to make me what I should be. And, but let's not have the reality gap, I've asked the Lord into my heart, therefore I'm a Christian, and therefore I'm indwelt by the Spirit, and I'm a new, I'm a new being. No, 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 no. New is new. In Christ is in Christ. And we can't hold a gun to God's head and say, right, God, I want in now. He'll say, he, we can say, Lord, please, I, I want you. And he'll say, yeah, I know. And I'm going to lead you to the place where you will give everything you are to gain me. At that point, you can have me. And so the notion of repentance um, is a bit of a journey. We start off repenting to some extent and we repent a bit more as we understand a bit more and then we see a bit more of what we are and we repent a bit more. And ultimately, I suggest to you, um, by the Lord's kindness in this world of prevenient grace, he will lead us so that we repent of being alive. We repent of being. We see what we are. And in that moment, we cannot live any longer and we go into death. And he raises us. He is, he is taking our, whole, our soul. He's taking our spirit. And he's baptizing us into death. And at last we see what we are. That it's impossible that we can live. How can this being exist in the presence of your light? I'm a wrong being. He says, it's alright. And he baptizes into death. And he raises us up. And that attitude that made us uh, incorrigible 
irremediable, um, that made us his enemy, it's gone. Let's call what's new, new. So I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a habit, it's a sad thing. Now look, I talked to a man, pastor of a big church, senior pastor of a big church, one of the best in Perth, and he said to me that if I talked about these things, look, these, I would empty this church in a week. And the point is that they got, they got salaries, they got buildings, and there's... There's a whole scheme, I would suggest to you. There's, there's a temptation, there's a possibility that we can develop a whole scheme that defends, that depends on <clears throat> gratifying the religious inclinations of people on the way, and yet it might not be being faithful to the testimony of Jesus. Um, and our job is not to worry about how full the church is, but to be faithful the testimony of Jesus in as much as we know it. Not that we know very much, but there are some things we just can't get away from. If any man thinks he knows, he knows nothing yet as he ought. So nobody's putting their hand up and saying, I know everything. But there are some things that we just can't get away from. Say, well, actually, the Lord Jesus says this, and what he says is true. So, um, I don't, I don't say these things to, uh, I just want us to be clear, um, so we understand the ways, uh, something that we're allowed to understand are the ways of God. Um, we don't get sidetracked by partial stuff that shouldn't be said, shouldn't be done. So we've got this far, ah yes, Cornelius. Incidentally, when Ananias came and laid his hands on Saul, do you remember the story? We'll come to it later in chapter 9. Eventually we'll get to chapter 9. When Ananias came and the Lord instructed him in a vision to lay his hands on Saul so that he should receive his sight. Just going back to the laying on of hands thing. At that time, Saul also... We won't go back to it now. Anyway. Now. So, what is the part that's given us to play then? If it's not, ah, now God has given me the gift of laying on of hands so you receive the Spirit. So, it is not that. What is our part? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we have some answers. Are you ready? Um, Let's go to 1 Corinthians 17. 1 Corinthians 1, that is. 1 Corinthians 1. Here's Paul to the Corinthians. Um, a dissolute uh, port town on the isthmus there. Christ sent me, ver- chapter 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. Christ sent me not to baptize, says Paul, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. He didn't send him for, to give fancy, persuasive oratory. Just tell him the facts. Is that fair? Not persuasive oratory. Um, 
Not, I'm going to impress them with my, the subtlety of my arguments. None of that. Even if they were Greeks, who loved subtle arguments, gave it to them straight. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the word of the cross, you have preaching perhaps, it's logos. For the word of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. There's no faith to listen to that. It's just nonsense. But unto us which are saved, this word of the cross is power of God. Right. So I would suggest to you, I want to present to you that our part in helping our brother man and brother sister is to bear our testimony to Jesus. Simple as. Who's the Saviour? The Lord Jesus. Who is he who changes men and women's hearts? The Lord Jesus. What have we to do? In Wesley's words, I point you all to him. Is to confess the word. Let's go back to John. Um, no, let's go to Romans 1. On the way back. Romans 1, verse 16. not ashamed, Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is power of God unto salvation Ah, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith the just shall live by faith ok um, hold that thought He's not ashamed of it. It's the power of God. It's enough for us to confess Jesus, to declare him, to declare the cross. That's it. But we're not the only ones doing it, are we? Have a look in John 14. You remember this. We're not, it's not us alone. It's not an information war. People generally, it's not so much information that's needed. It's conviction of who's speaking. That's much more important. Um, so, John 14, we're just going to cut in. Ah, a little, here's another little aside. Lord, how is it that thou, verse 22, John 14, 22, how is it that this Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas, how is it, Lord, that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? It's a good question, wasn't it? Jesus said, I'm going to manifest myself to you, and they won't see me. How? And the Lord's answer is, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. So there's another order of love. Yes, God so loved the world. But there's another nature of love. There's the love a man has for his wife. There's the love a man has for his children. There's the love the children have for their mother. There's, there are various loves in humanity, are there not? And there are different loves within the Godhead, I would suggest, it seems. We know that he loves the world. He hasn't written us off and he's sent the Son and he's made a way. But... For those who hear Jesus' word and keep it, there's another level of love. 
here's what happens. If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. Here's how it's going to happen, that you can see me, and they can't, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. I'm going to add, for real, not as a line appended to what a Christian is. Yes, it's what a Christian is. Are you a Christian? Is the Father and are the Son indwelling you because of the work of the Holy Ghost? For real. Okay. Um, but getting back to the other part. We'll make our bear with him. Uh, getting back to the, our part, let's go to verse 26. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said. Ye also shall bear witness. Now, have I missed the part? Sorry, it's chapter 15, 26. Sorry. Chapter 15, 26, it starts in the same way. But when the Comforter is come, chapter 15, 26, whom I will send unto you from the Father, go on, be honest, when did, the, when did Jesus send the Comforter to you from the Father? Well, I'm just the same as I always have been. I'm just the same as I was when I was born. That's all right. Talk to the Father about it. The point of Christianity is that you are what you could never have been when you were born. You need to become a new creature. Talk to the Father about it. He loves you. He has made a way for you. Don't get bogged down in something quasi-Christian that is all prevenient kindness of God and never gets through, pays the price and receives the promise. Yeah? So, we're in verse 26. When the Comforter has come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of Truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he, the Comforter, shall testify concerning me. Guys, it's the only story in the universe. God, who at some time that in diverse manners spake unto the fathers in times past by the prophets, Hebrews chapter 1, hath in these last days spoken unto us in the Son. Ah. And so when the Holy Ghost comes, he testifies to Jesus. The message is Jesus. What is Jesus? He was a man who, came to, who was the man as a man should be. The first human being to walk the earth who was a proper man. That's a Luther, a Luther phrase. But for us stands the proper man. Do you know that hymn, A Safe Stronghold Our God Is Still? And one of the lines is, But for us stands the proper man. The first human being to fulfill his destiny proper. I do always the things that please the Father. He lived for the Father's will. Sorry to be horrible. Um, he didn't think about us above all the cross. 
He was giving himself to the Father. It was a sacrifice to the Father. He loved the Father. Yes, we were born in his heart. But he didn't think about us above all. He certainly didn't think about me above all. What about the bloke next door? Um, yeah, the, he gave himself to the Father first and foremost. We read that in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, he gave himself to him for us. Ah, yeah, he, Jesus was, it was a sacrifice of love. He lived for the Father. So that in, in, in the cross, he died for the Father according to your will, your will, Father. It's what you want. Thy will be done. So when he taught us to pray, he, he was putting into our mouths the nature that was in his heart. Thy will be done. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, when the Holy Ghost has come, he shall testify concerning me. And ye also shall bear witness. Because you've been with me from the beginning. So Paul was saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. Why? Not because it was a persuasive argument, but because as Paul was declaring Christ, the Holy Ghost was declaring Christ. Opening hearts and forcing home the message and screaming. The Holy Ghost doesn't scream. And... Uh, <laughs> irresistibly compelling the hearers to know God's speaking to you. He might be a bloke with a funny face, but that's not who's speaking. The Holy Ghost is bearing witness. This is God speaking to you. There's no doubt about it. Do you understand the point? What is our part in this business? What is our part in God's economy? It's to declare Jesus. And as we declare Jesus, the Holy Ghost is declaring Jesus. It's the power of God under salvation to those who believe. And in that moment, we can block our ears, we can mishear, our moral condition is not yet ready, or depending on where we are, we can say, yes, Lord, and fall on our faces, be it unto me according to thy word. So, yes, we have a part, but it's not an external ritual. Yes, it's important. It's the thing. It is, it is the, it's the thing for humanity that God has made. Don't get, I, I don't want to make it sound as if forgiveness is unimportant. It's not unimportant. But don't get stuck on forgiveness. There's always been forgiveness. God's been forgiven us, been forgiving us since the Garden of Eden. He forgave the Jews. He forgives the Muslims. He forgives, you understand. We're still alive, aren't we? He's forgiven you. He's sent his, he sent his blessings on the just and the unjust. The new departure is the promise of the Father. I'm going to make them to new creatures. I'm going to make them to proper men and women that have never walked the planet before. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. New creation. Old things, they've passed away. Guys, that's not, um, it's not just an article to confess. It's supposed to be describing the reality. When I was young, they said the Bible is a test book, not a text book. There's a little bit of help in that. 
So, I think that brings me to the Lord's able to take us on and lead us into proper repentance. Um, he's God. He loves us. Um, and he wants to lead us to a place where the defining factor of our life is our love for him. As that was the defining factor in Jesus' life. I live to please the Father. Um, shall we pray? Shall we do that? Um, so, the things of God aren't very religious. They're very spiritual. Is Jesus for real? What was he thinking? If you keep my words, my Father will love you. And he'll come to you. And I'll come to you. I will make our abode with you. What? Make sure, beloved friends, that you know this for real. The route to knowing it for real is to talk to him. Say, Father, I must know these things for real. I can remember the time when I was young, I was 21. I said, Lord, I've heard about all this stuff about Jesus in my heart all my life. I don't know what they're talking about. How, many, how long have you been hearing people talk about, oh, you've got to know Jesus in your heart? Um, that's good. It's a good thing to say. It's good to be honest. It's good to uh, come to the Lord for real. Oh, Father.